0: you got a Bible with you, anybody got a physical Bible with them this morning? Okay. If you don't, you can just write this down or you can turn with me or click with me on your phone. Our key passage today is Ephesians uh, 2, verse 19 through 22. We're kind of just going to be bouncing back and forth from this for the rest of the session, but here's what it says. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Another translation says, Foreigners. You're no longer foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Amen. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we'll get to this in a second, but Paul's saying, Hey, you're part of something bigger, it's actually ancient. It's 2,000 years old. You're a part of this whole crazy movement um, of saints and revivalists and apostles, and it goes all the way back to one person. It's all built on one person. Who's that? Jesus, that's right. Good morning. Uh, let's continue. Verse 21, it says, Jesus is the cornerstone in him whom the structure, the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are built together into a dwelling place somebody say dwelling place dwelling place for god by the spirit okay so there's a couple really quick little truth nuggets that we find in this passage before we get into citizenship Uh, and pastor ken talked about this last weekend but the kingdom of god is a family we're invited into a family you know when you get saved it's not just about you and god like in our in our culture we are so individualistic and so people in Christianity, we, we think, oh, it's just about me and God. Like, if me and God are tight, I'm good. I don't need to go to church. I can watch church online. I don't have to be planted in the family of God. I, I once was having a conversation with one of my neighbors, and I was trying to get him to come to New Song. I was inviting him, and he, he told me, he was like, dude, I'm good. Like, I, I seek God. Like, me and God are tight, but, like, church is just not for me. Like, I, I've done church, but now I connect with God, like, through books and podcasts and, and nature. And at first I was like, well, I'm really glad that your heart is open to God. Like, I'm super thankful that you're, you're, I think you're seeking God on your own. But unfortunately, you're missing a huge aspect of the fact that when you got saved, you weren't saved from a family, you were saved into a family. So if you want to write that down, I think that's a great, a great note that we need to realize is Jesus, salvation doesn't individually save us from a family Uh, It saves us into a family. So if you are walking in salvation, but you're walking in it without the family of God, you're missing a huge aspect of God's plan for your life. And this family that we're invited to is not just the people that you're members with at New Song Church. Look at what it says here. I love this. It says, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we, we all have our family histories. Does anybody have anybody that's famous in their family history? Yeah? Is it the, are you the Hershey one? Where like somebody in your family is like, like invented Hershey. Oh, nice. Wow. Do what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're pretty famous. That's true. That's true. So we all have family histories that we We all have family histories that we inherit. Some of that is good stuff. Some of that's not good stuff. Maybe it's like some generational curses and things. We all inherit a family history, but here's what's so cool about this passage. It tells us that when you are born again, you you inherit a family history, and guess what it is? You inherit the family history of revivalists in the past, of apostles, of the prophets, Like this is a family history that goes back 2000 years and it's built on the foundation of who? Jesus, Jesus is your brother, right? Do you remember that message? Was that Sarah? Behold the family of God, Jesus is your brother. But the second thing that sticks out to me in this is uh, that the family of God that we're invited into, we are called to be unified. And I think it's easy to look at the church today and it looks more divided than ever before Here's the way that we can become unified. Paul gives us the answer right here. It's by looking back to what the whole thing is built upon. If, if we're all creating these arguments based on these secondary issues that don't matter as much. And I like what one pastor say, just keep the main thing, the main thing. When we keep going back to the cornerstone, which is Jesus, that's the thing. Jesus is the only thing that's going to unify the church. And then the final thing that sticks out to me, uh, just really quickly from this passage, is our sole purpose paul gives us our entire purpose and what we're called to do as the family of god what happens when we join together not just with the people we do life with but church the capital c church as a whole it says this in him you are also being built together so we're coming together we're unified into a dwelling place for god by the spirit Here's what our main goal is. Our main goal as the family of God is to host God's presence. That's our, that is the goal that you should have in your life. So that means that our main goal is not to save people. Our main goal is not to change our crazy cousins or our crazy aunts and uncles who are living like, like, or like Pharisees or crazy people. No, our main goal is to host God's presence, to say Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this family. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this day. You're welcome in my job. I'm hosting God's presence, and when we do that, then guess what? Then we allow God to do what he does best, which is save people and redeem people and bring the church together and be the hero of the story. We're not called to be the hero of the story. God's called to be the hero of the story. Amen? So all all we're supposed to do is just be vessels. We're supposed to be a unified vessel built on Jesus saying, God, fill us up use us we want to host your presence and when we do that god can do what he does best he can do the saving he can do the redeeming he can do the transforming so with all that being said let's look into this key passage again but let's talk about it with the like through the lens of citizenship what what our focus is for today let's look at this it says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god so as paul's writing about the kingdom of god or he he, ta- he calls it the household of god he gives us an important word describing our identity in this kingdom and its citizens so i want to give you the definition of citizen if you're taking notes write this down a citizen is a legally recognized subject or a person a citizen is a legally recognized Person, either native, meaning you were born there, or naturalized, meaning you went through a process to become a citizen. So I want to say that one more time. A citizen is a legally recognized person, either native or naturalized. So before we get into the importance of what this word means spiritually, what the spiritual implications of this word are. We got to look at it from a worldly sense, and I don't mean like worldly is meant bad, I just mean reality, (laughs) the world we live in. Uh, So citizenship in our world today is gained only by two ways. You're either born in that country and you're a citizen, or you go through the process of naturalizations. So I had a roommate when I was in college. He was born in Romania, and this guy's name was Matt. He was a great guy. You would have not known he was born in Romania, had no accent, he moved here when he was two. Uh, But the second he was born in Romania and, you know, his name is put on the birth certificate and and he's recognized as a living person in Romania. The second that happened, he was a Romanian citizen. The state recognized Matt as a Romanian citizen. He didn't have to do anything to do that. Right. Didn't have to earn it. Just he was born there. So he's a citizen. Um, But when he was two, his mom married his current adopted dad and moved his family from Romania to Florida. Uh, now, I've got a question for you. Did did Matt become a citizen in America the second he stepped foot on American soil? No, the, the, the location didn't determine his citizenship. So when Matt grew up and became an adult, became 18, he had to go through the process of becoming a U.S. citizen, which is called naturalization. So here's an important thing we've got to understand about citizenship when it regards our world, write this down: Our physical location doesn't determine citizenship. We're getting somewhere with this. Just trust me. Our physical location doesn't determine citizenship. So when somebody enters the kingdom, quote unquote, of America, uh, you know they don't—they're not seen as a citizen the second they step foot on American soil. We have a process in our country of how you can become a citizen, but you're not legally seen by the state as a citizen the second you step foot in America. And in the same way, here's what that means spiritually. Location doesn't determine spiritual citizenship. Location doesn't determine spiritual citizenship. In other words, and we've seen this all the time, maybe you've seen it in your life, going to church and attending church your entire life doesn't mean you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Having parents who really love Jesus, but you haven't made the decision yourself, doesn't mean you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. You could do all of the right things. You could read the whole Bible like twice a year, all year long for the for, for your entire life. And if you've never made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're you might be in the kingdom of God physically, like you're in church and you're doing all the right things, but the state doesn't recognize you as a citizen. Are you following me? and uh, you know in today's society we have the ability to go from state to state or country to country and we have this process called uh, normalization where if you do the right things if you go through the right process if you do the right works then the state will recognize you out as a citizen and it's the same as somebody who was born there they see you the state sees you and it's like it's like you were born there right you went through all of the right processes but when Paul is writing this the process of normalization didn't exist. So the only way you could be a citizen in a country was if you were born there. So that meant if you traveled to another country, you would always be seen as a foreigner or an alien or a second-class citizen. You hearing me? Didn't matter how hard you tried. Didn't matter how much you integrated into that culture. If you weren't born, if you weren't native to that culture, you were seen as a second-class citizen. And this is why Paul uses this, this phrase. In this passage from Ephesians, Paul is writing to a a group of people, and he uses this word citizen very intentionally because he's not writing to a Jewish culture. He's writing to a Gentile culture. Gentile is anybody who is not Jewish by birth. So lean in with me for a second. This is really important. When the church is starting to grow and to expand, you know, it went to the Jews first, and Jews are getting saved, but then eventually Gentiles start getting saved, but the Jewish people saw Gentiles as second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. and They weren't Jewish by birth, and so they started adding works and religion and stipulations to the gospel for the Gentiles. They're like, yeah, you can be a Christian, but you got to keep the feasts, and you got to do all of these Jewish things, and some of you guys got to get circumcised, yikes. And they, they allowed Gentiles to be Christians, but only if they were to do this process to normalize them are you following me they had to go through this process of normalization to be a real christian because they were looked at as second-class citizens but paul is doing something very intentional here he's saying no 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 no, no. you he's talking to gentiles you are not foreigners you're not second-class citizens you are citizens in the kingdom of heaven look at what he says You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the Jewish people by birth who received Jesus with the saints and members of the household of God. He's talking to Gentiles, people who were born into the kingdom of God. So the question then is, if we can't go through a process, like the Jewish people are trying to make the Gentiles go through this perfect process to become Christians, if that's not how we become citizens, then how do we become citizens in God's kingdom? Well, it's the same way that Paul recognized you become a citizen. It's only through birth. The only way that we enter into God's kingdom, it's not by works, it's not by doing all the right things, it's not by going to every serve Saturday on the calendar, it's only by birth. Write this down, the only way into the kingdom of God is through birth. That's how we become citizens. This is why Jesus tells us in John 3.3, this is super important, he says, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus makes it pretty simple. Unless you're born again, God is not going to recognize you as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. But here's the good news about that. You actually don't have to do a bunch of good works to become a citizen. You don't have to go through this process of normalization. All you have to do is be born again. And that's just a really simple confession from your heart it's giving jesus lordship of your life and the second you do that you experience a spiritual birth and it takes you from being a second class citizen in the kingdom of god to being seen as somebody like like jesus who came from the father onto the earth this is some good stuff so um and this also means and we're going to get to this in a second i don't want to get too much into this but this means and i've kind of been saying this over and over again that doing religious things doesn't doesn't open the door to the kingdom of god It doesn't open the door. So now that we've nailed down uh, what the word citizen means, what Paul was talking about when he says this word citizen, uh, we've got to look at how this goes from an identity that we take, because that's an identity word. We've got to see how that moves into our practice. So how does citizenship translate to practice? Well, citizens, write this down. Citizens are expected to enter into citizenship citizens are expected to enter into citizenship. So I was born in the United States. I don't know if you could tell, you probably couldn't, but I was, and when I was born in the United States, uh, I didn't have to do anything to be seen as a citizen, right? I was born on this soil. So the state recognizes me as a US citizen And that's pretty cool because guess what? When I was born, I didn't offer anything to our society. And you didn't either. When you're born, you don't offer anything to the country you're born into. But are you expected to just walk in that identity but never offer something back to the kingdom? No, no, no. When you grow up and you become an adult legally by the state, you're expected to not just be American by birth, but you're expected to be American through practice. Does that make sense? And so this is because ex- citizens are expected to enter into citizenship. So I want to give you the definition of citizenship. Um, and before I do that, I'm going to read it right next to citizens, when we, the one we just defined. So citizen is a legally recognized subject. So that's speaking to identity. That's who you are. But here's what a citizenship is. It's a relationship between an individual and a state. To which the individual owes allegiance and in turn is entitled to its protection. So I'm going to give that to you again. A relationship, a citizenship is a relationship between an individual and a state to which the individual owes allegiance and in turn is entitled to its protection. Does anybody need that again? Okay, one more time. Relationship between an individual and a state to which the individual owes allegiance and in turn is entitled to its protection. And here's another part. You don't have to write this down. Citizenship implies the status of freedom with accompanying responsibilities. So citizenship is relationship. We might not see it that way with our country, but we're in relationship with the United States. Relationships offer you something, but they also require you to give something for it, right? So I think we could all agree, we're, our country's not perfect, but we're all really blessed to live in America. The United States is not perfect. We've got a lot of issues, but uh, we're, we're very blessed. We live in a country that a lot of people would do pretty much anything to move here. Uh, we've got great benefits. We have the ability to vote. Uh, just to name a few things but even though we live in a quote unquote free country does that mean that we can just do whatever we want? Does that mean we can just do whatever we want? No that doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want in order for our country to continue to exist to continue to thrive we have to learn how to be in relationship with our country so that means we receive benefits from America but we also have to pay taxes and some people have to volunteer to serve our country in the military and and politically like we have to, it's a give and take relationship. America wouldn't be the same. Think about this. um, If uh, American citizens decided to stop doing something that's a central part of our government, like voting, could you imagine if just everybody decided I'm gonna be an American by my identity, but I'm not gonna practice that by voting. If nobody voted, we wouldn't be a democracy anymore. We wouldn't be America anymore. And so because of that, if, if our country's going to function the way it was intentioned and designed to, it takes people being in relationship with it. So we don't just take, take, take from our, our country. We also have to give and decide who we want in office. And in the same way, God's kingdom, it can't do what we talked about last week, the original intent, without people recognizing not just that they're citizens in their identity, but recognizing that they have a part to play and a relationship to play in that king- kingdom. Through a citizenship are you following me um so god has a vision of his kingdom giving you power and privileges there's some great privileges living into the kingdom of god one of my favorite ones is this thing called the fog it's called the favor of god when you're in the when you live in the kingdom of god you walk in the fog it's kind of like what pastor tanner i was preaching about last week you just you bless blessing people and you don't even know you're doing it because you're a christian so we walk in the fog but not only that when you live in the kingdom we have a responsibility we're supposed to grow this kingdom we're supposed to live by this kingdom's morals are you following me so what does this look like practically as a christian uh, well paul makes it pretty clear in our key passage it looks like people understanding a couple of things that were invited into a family not just an individual walk with god we're supposed to be unified with that family And we're supposed to host God's presence through this family. And when we become that unified family who's intentionally saying, God, we want you more than we want the things of this world. God, we want you more than we want to have a big church. God, we want you more than we want to look holy. When we do all of those things, then his power shows up in our kingdom. And that means his kingdom grows. All right. So this next section, we're going to look at the difference between how God's kingdom works compared to Uh, the way our kingdom works in America. We live in a democracy. And some of this Pastor Toner I preached last week, which was everybody there for last week's message. I finally got to listen to it yesterday. It was so good. And you're going to hear a lot of what he preached already, but that's okay. I think if God's repeating himself to us, that means we're supposed to be like, God, what are you saying to me? Um, But we live in a kingdom where we have a democracy. So citizens are responsible for who's in government. We have a say and what's gonna happen, how our government's gonna function, who's gonna function in it. Uh, But this is not how the kingdom of God functions. This is not how it works. The way you function in the kingdom of God is not by shaping it based on how we feel or what we like. The way we function in the kingdom of God is living under the decree of the king. So to simply put, if you wanna write this down, we don't tell God what to do. (laughs) God tells us what to do. (laughs) It's pretty it's pretty simple <laughs> just make it real easy for us we don't tell God what to do God tells us what to do so what does that look like well God's kingdom this is so cool God built we see this in Genesis God built the kingdom this world through his word and he sustained it through his word and all he calls people to do is trust that word and then to live from that word or I like to say live under that word and so This is crazy the enemy knows that this is how the world works he knows that the world is sustained through God's Word and so this is why in the very beginning the very thing that he comes against when he comes to Adam and Eve he knows that hey they're gonna further God's kingdom if they just trust what God said so the first thing the enemy does is attack and question what God's Word that's the first thing the enemy does God creates this beautiful world And then he gives them his words by saying, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Just don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he gives them clear word. And then the enemy shows up and questions the very thing that God said. And so what I love about this is the enemy didn't go to them and question God's existence. He wasn't like, do you really believe God exists? He didn't go to them and try to get Adam and Eve to be like, does God really love you? No, 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 the, the very thing that the enemy questioned was, did God really say that? Did God really say, do you really believe that God said that? And the second they did that, trusted the enemy's word instead of God's word, was the second the kingdom of heaven stopped growing. So write this down if you're taking notes. Citizens in the kingdom of God have to learn to trust and treasure the word of God. We have to. Citizens in the kingdom of heaven have to learn to trust and treasure the word of God. Just a couple scriptures about God's word that I love. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's Matthew 25, 35. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Luke eleven twenty-eight. 28, one more. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God, And they keep it so we hear god's word we trust it we treasure it we keep it when we do that that's how we very practically grow the kingdom of god you can't grow the kingdom of god apart from god's word it's impossible you're growing a different kingdom amen okay next section we're going to talk about um religion some fun stuff we've covered a lot of stuff real quick we've looked at what citizen means what that word means how we have to be born into Citizenship, that identity, but then we're also expected as believers to step into a relationship with the kingdom, which means we get benefits, woohoo, but we also have responsibilities. And then we just looked at uh, how we do that. We live under God's word. And um, let me see where we're going. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest threats to uh, our kingdom, the kingdom of God growing today, is citizens falling into this really nasty thing called religion spirit of religion religion if you want to take a a little shot at writing this quote i love this is a great way to define religion religion is simply doing a god thing without god it's doing a god thing without god it's it's uh it's putting the emphasis on doing kingdom things in order to be with the king. So I'm doing all these things so I can be with the king. But then you realize at the end of the day, oh, I'm actually supposed to do all those things from my relationship with the king, not to my relationship with the king. And I love, again, I'm just going to keep just shouting out Pastor Tondrai, but I I loved what he said when he talked last week about false humility. Talked about false humility. And we see this all of the time when we go through life and we're thinking, oh, I'm just the worst. I'm just missing the mark. I'm not doing all these religious practices. How am I ever going to be used by God? When God says, no, no, no. When you were born again, I already made you salt. I made you the salt and light of the earth. Now go do it. So we do religious things, but not for God or to God to get to God. We do it from our relationship with God. That's what breeds life into quote unquote religious things. And Has anybody heard Pastor Sarah's message yet? No? Okay. Well, she'll hit on it tonight or today. So just be ready for that. Okay. Next part, verse 19. Let's keep going in this key passage. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You're not second class. doesn't matter what religious things you're doing. God sees you as a citizen when you're born again and you're in the household of God. So write this down if you're taking notes. We do the will of God from identity not for identity. We do we, we do the will of God. We accomplish the will of God from identity, from that citizenship, not in order to gain it. The next aspect of the kingdom of God, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try and hammer through this so we can get Tondra up here, is we've got to understand that uh, we're not just citizens of heaven because when you got saved, you didn't get zapped into heaven. That would be awesome, but you don't we're still here on this earth, which means we also take up the identity of a dual citizen. So what does that look like? Well, Philippians 3.19 talks about this. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So right here, Paul is contrasting two very different kingdoms. He's talking about the earthly kingdom, and he says things like their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, all they can focus on is earthly things. And then he points to the kingdom that we are waiting for, that we're striving for, that we're eventually going to be inherit, and that's the kingdom of heaven now we actually have citizenship in both of those kingdoms at the same time so how does that work practically well um we all have citizenship in america whatever nation we're born in and when we travel to a different nation uh and we run into trouble there's this thing called an embassy you ever heard of an embassy before and what that is is that's that's a part of the country that's been designated to a foreign country and when you step into that embassy Instantly, it's like you're you're stepping into a portal into that country and you get to, if you say you run into trouble, you're out of the country and you run to a U.S. embassy, they can help you because you're a U.S. citizen. And so in the same way the Bible says that we are dual citizens, it's almost like our homes and our lives, this is really cool, they act as like embassies to the kingdom of God. So I think sometimes we think about that in the sense of like, oh, like our world is so terrible and it's so bad and we need to avoid it. And and that's why I'm a dual citizen. Like I'm not of this world. So when I see terrible worldly things, like I just need to remind myself I'm not of this world. And that there is truth to that. But the other side of the coin is, no, here's what that means for you practically. That means you live in a world where you get to be a portal for people into the kingdom of heaven. Like you're an ambassador. So that means you represent the kingdom. That means wherever you go, you're not just... A Christian and you're avoiding worldly people and avoiding worldly things and you don't want it to touch you No, that means when you step into worldly environments When people connect with you and they contact you, it's like they're stepping into an embassy of the kingdom of God Does that make sense? And you're like a portal into the kingdom of God And that's why we're called to host the presence of God That's some good stuff And then I don't want to get into this too much I didn't even put this in my notes But also dual citizen We talked about this in our students series a couple months ago, but we did one on God and politics or Jesus in politics. And what that means politically is this. We are called to be believers who want to see the kingdom that we live in. We want to see kingdom values promoted in our culture. But at the end of the day, what that means is that our culture, our kingdom that we live in America should not be the, uh, the main focus. We're dual citizens, which means we offer our say into our kingdom. But at the end of the day, we're not we're not devoted to our kingdom of America politically. We're we're devoted to the kingdom of God, amen? And ultimately, this is the last thing we're gonna look at. Uh, This all leads to uh, the aspect of citizenship that is this. Take notes if you wanna write this down. God's kingdom should be attractive based on the lives of citizens. God's kingdom should be attractive when people see the way kingdom Christians are living that should be attractive. I think a great way to illustrate this is I heard a pastor preach this once, and I just, I've been saving it. I'm like, oh, I'm stealing that, and I can't wait to use it because it was so good, but he was preaching on the armor of God, and it was something I've I've never heard somebody point out before. It blew my mind. He was talking about how lots of Christians will use truth. They'll use God's word as a weapon they'll use it to cut people in the world they'll use it to stab people in the world or they'll use god's word as a shield like as a divider like you stay you stay out i've got god's word dividing me from you evil worldly people Uh, but what i loved about what he said is we need to understand this is really cool believers are not given when we're talking about the armor of god we're not given the sword of truth we're not given the sword of truth and the shield that we pick up is not a shield of truth where is truth in the armor of God? Does anybody know? It's the belt. So here's what that means. Uh, the spirit of God does the cutting, not us. And our faith does the blocking against fiery darts and against the world. But what do we do with truth? We don't fight with truth, we wear truth. We're called to wear truth. And here's that, what that means. That doesn't mean we can't ever tell people in the world what God's truth is what it means is truth is not a sword we pick up truth is a belt that we wear in other words what's going to be more attractive to the world is not you telling them what god says it's you wearing what god says does that make sense the the thing that's gonna make the world attracted to us is when we see that we're not christians who who just talk the talk but we're christians who walk the walk when we wear truth, what are some things, and this is, I'm gonna close with this. What are some things that if we choose to wear will be attractive to our world? Here's a couple of things. Praying for people who drive you crazy. Enemy love should attract the world. When we, when we start to pick up, oh, I'm right on time. When, when we start to pick up enemy love, that should be attractive to the world. Here's another one. Being continually filled with the Holy Spirit because I don't need people to see Jackson and how great Jackson is. I need people to see that there's a spirit in me that's greater than Jackson, that's the Holy Spirit. What's another thing? Walking in the fruit of the spirit, all of it, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of those fruits. Stepping into freedom from habitual sin. When we start to wear that truth and people see us in the church, not like in the same boat as people in the world, but we're walking above our struggles eventually, and walking in freedom, that should be attractive to the world. Having marriages that reflect Jesus dying for the bride, so husbands not just you know like lording over their wives, but like dying for their wives, and then wives submitting to their husbands like like the church is supposed to for Jesus. That should be attractive to the world. Discipling your kids, that's a belt of truth we should wear. New song, discipling our kids intentionally. Uh, what else? Growing in the gifts of the spirit. So picking up spiritual gifts like the gifts of the prophetic and things like that, that should be uh, attractive to the world. And then finally, recognizing that we're called to be planted in the house of God. That's something we preach a lot here at New Song. But there are so many people who don't have a family, and there are so many believers who aren't plugged into the family of God. And people seeing how we love one another and give to one another and are accountable to one another through the people we do church with should be attractive to the world. So those are just a few ways that we can wear truth instead of attack people with truth. Does that make sense? Did that that was phenomenal, okay, on, on the idea of citizenship. And
1: I, I, I love that you were so structured on it, and I love that Everything begins to cross together when you're trying to get the definition and understanding of How all these things come together Primarily when you talk about the citizen because you're talking about us You're talking about us personally and how we function and live in a kingdom And I think it is essential that we see ourselves and, and this might be controversial in some sense but I want us to see ourselves more so as citizens than Christians Okay. And I think I think that's very important if you see that, because one of the primary messages that Jesus preached was the kingdom of, of God. He he never really preached salvation. You know, the way we are always about salvation, come forward and receive prayer. And, and he never said that. He never preached like Let's just come come and receive me in salvation sense. But he was like, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Seek ye first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you but he never preached salvation in the sense that we champion it and i think that we need to have a shift in how we present uh the message of of, of god primarily bringing it from a kingdom perspective. Because what, what religion does, religion suffocates, and religion removes um, the true identity of who we are. And man, I'm going to be all over the place because Jackson got me fired up and now I'm just excited. So it, it's just gonna be, it's just gonna be bluch. I'm just gonna just throw everything at you. But but remember when Jesus is before, is before, um is before, Pilate, I believe it is. And then Pilate says, "Uh, are you the king of the Jews? And you said, it is right that you say that that's what I am. For this I have come that I might testify to the truth. And then Pilate says, what is truth? Well, he, he, he has already said it. He said, I've come to testify to the truth, the truth of my identity as king is what he's saying. I've come to testify to the truth of my identity as king to confer a kingdom back to people. So the reason why the kingdom is near, because again, he's not saying this, this is not said in Malachi, you don't see it in Zechariah, you don't see it in Daniel or David or Hosea, but you see it in the gospel it Says the kingdom of heaven is near because the kingdom of heaven was stolen or taken away. In Genesis, when the serpent came and deceived the woman, what was taken away was the kingdom. And when the kingdom went, so too our identity went. And when our identity goes, then it's difficult for us to actually know who we are and what we are about. Which is why when I'm working on a message and talking about salt and light, you've got to understand that you being a citizen, you have have presence. You, you have you have presence and and when you have presence there's a blessing that is attached to just you existing as a, as a as a as a kingdom citizen and it's difficult for us to understand because in in a Christian mindset or a religious mindset we're often looking at the things we do or don't do to define whether we're good enough or whether we're acceptable but when you're a citizen a citizen of America you never think of it as in oh yeah I'm no longer a citizen because I didn't vote last week I'm no longer a citizen because I I didn't do this, or I'm no longer a citizen because I did not trust that this is the right president. You never doubt your citizenship. So in the same mold, As a child of God, once you understand that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you should never doubt your citizenship because it was never based on your acts or your works, but based on the fact that you believed. And like you said, born into citizenship, that's why you have to be born again, because you're being born again into another kingdom to have another citizenship identity. And the expression of citizenship, the expression of how we live, of how any society lives, is what defines their culture. Okay? The expression of how citizens live is what defines their culture. Every nation or kingdom manifests its identity through the way its citizens live. Okay? So when people say to you, um, I personally are born, hate this statement aren't you supposed to be a Christian, okay? I, I, I personally don't like it. Now, even if they're right, okay? <laughs> even if they're right. I have a personal problem with somebody who does not have any association with the Word of God trying to help me define who I am. E- even if they're correct. Suppose somebody from Spain said to you, aren't you supposed to be an American? How would you take that, right? You would be like, Phew see bobby speaks new york she's already in there but but that's the point and 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 the thing is I think the reason why social trends keep changing is because we succumb to these definitions that people are putting on us, or these expectations that people put on us as Christians. We succumb to them and we move the line away from who we truly are in order to appease the people that are trying to define us. Because at the end of the day, the definition of who we are is not embedded in so much as in what we are physically or what we offer with our hands and with our feet, but more so by the who defined us. So the only one who has a right to say, aren't you supposed to be, is the king because from him flows everything. So the way that we live life is expressed primarily through, through, through our culture. Now culture is going to be made up of so many different things. So many building blocks actually make up culture and we're going to talk about that. But here is the definition that I want us to be working with that culture is the development of people's intellectual capacities and moral awareness through a combination of formal and informal modeling. Okay? So, culture the development of people's intellectual capacities and moral awareness through a combination of informal instruction uh, a formal instruction and in, informal modeling. So, We come to this place where we begin to instruct and to model based on the environment that we find ourselves in. So a people that live in the desert versus a people that live in the sea will have differing cultures because the environment in which they're in will shape the kind of culture that they will exude. So a nation, the first thing that a nation needs for you to call it a nation is the nation needs to have territory. Right, It needs to have territory. So all the nations of the world today have territory. If you think about even right now, uh, right now in our world, you have Russia and you Russia trying to attack Ukraine and all that. That is all based on territory. Okay, think about it. The idea is for territory, because the more territory you have, the more influence you can have on the people groups that are within your particular territory. So they need to have territory and from that territory begins to define the kind of lifestyle or the kind of life that they want to live. And so the environment their environment is, 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 is key to defining this, but then you have to have people sit down and have a desire on how they're going to work out how what ideals, how people's lives ought to look like. Similarly, when people left England or Europe and they came over here in America, they were greeted with a particular type of environment and they were running away from <laughs> Kingdom, And then they came to build a democracy because they did not like the lifestyle or the kind of way that they lived in England. So they had to come up and build a new ideal or a new way of living. Are you following with me so far? So the environment is number one. And number two is going to be ideals. What kind of life do we want to exist in? And so for them to define this life, they begin with what is known as a precept. What is known as a precept. So the precept is That God gave was, let us make man, Genesis 1 and 26, in our own image and in our own likeness and let him have dominion over the earth. So God right there was saying, our mind here in God, the precept is, okay, what we want is for a people group to exist on the earth and express who we are on the earth. Express the kingship of God, the way of God, the nature of God on the earth. So that was God's precept, and so after He has this precept, then He undergirds it with principles. All this is word. He undergirds it with principles because principles are the way that hold up whether the precept is going to be, uh, is going to be possible to be carried out or not. So a principle is not unyielding. You know, principles of of. Uh, is it aerodynamics that I want to say or what's this gravity the principles of gravity once, once I throw the thing in the air it is going to come down that is birth out of a precept in other words God said I want no man to be able to jump up and fly All Right? that's the precept and then the principle says Well, now, if you throw the stone up in the air it is going to come down so you cannot deny the principle you have to live in accordance to the principle and so then after you have the principle, then there's this thing called the law. Now, this is what is fascinating to me about the law. The word law there is the word Torah in the original Hebrew. What? Okay, is the word Torah in the original Hebrew. Now, the word Torah Moso, so, Daniel, the word Torah Moso so is in definition, yes, you can erase that, is the word direction. So I want you to think of law as direction, okay? So when you read and you see the law of Moses, it's the direction of Moses. So what is this direction doing? The direction or the law is leading you back to understand God's original precept. Did you catch that? The law. Is saying, the law is not, I just want you to have a terrible life. That's why I'm making this law. Okay? That's not what law is there for. Law is not there for you to make, to make your life difficult. Law is actually there to give you freedom. That's what law is there for. Because law is giving you direction to say, I'm giving you the direction so that you would know my precept. And that precept is undergirded by principles. Okay, so when you see the law, when God says, "Thou shalt not kill," thou shalt not. Covered somebody else's wife shall have only one God but me and he's giving you the law. He's saying I want you to see this because when you practice this you will know my original idea which is my precept and if you understand that it is all undergirded by the principles that I'm going to give you that if you live by these principles and if you live by the law you're actually going to carry out what I originally planned and desired for your life. And so now because of that now because we have law we have precept and freedom, all these begin to make up the type of culture that we should exist in. So when we follow the law and we follow the principles, these are building blocks to culture, okay? Because from this now, we can build a whole bunch of things from this, which I'll I'll, I'll talk to you about in a little bit. But from this, we can build a whole bunch of things like value. What is it that we value? What is it that we champion? What is it that we, uh, that we decide that we're going to be against, that we don't want this to be a part of it? All of this is coming from the original idea that God had, and that is the kingdom. So, if you want to define a people group or understand who they are, You have to understand their culture. Coming from a different nation and coming here, this, it it, it gets illuminated, okay? It gets illuminated. First of all, you're watching a show in Zimbabwe, okay? And people are wearing shorts, like real short shorts and skimpy vests And to us, I'm thinking, my goodness, what is wrong with these people not wanting to dress up? You know, what's going on? Okay? The weather here is totally different to the weather from where I come from. Shorts, to us, is not the way that you dress, whether formally or otherwise. (laughs) Daniel here is wearing shorts, right? To us, this is in a Zimbabwean culture, because our environment the weather allows us to keep wearing pants and you wear shorts when you're playing a game like soccer and you wear soccer shorts. Then you come here, obviously people wear shorts a lot because the weather dictates that you need to dress down in order for you to be comfortable. Cause if you're going to wear a suit and tie, again, I'll talk about this. The British taught us that a gentleman knows no weather. Right, So it doesn't matter whether it's cold, hot, whatever, you got a suit and tie, you are togged up That's because you're a gentleman, right? So when you come here, none of y'all look like gentlemen. So I have a thing, what is wrong with this society? What is wrong with this people group? But when I come and see your environment, I begin to understand why your culture is the way that it is. Are you following me? Okay, so then I have an appreciation. So when I understand that, all of a sudden, my mind changes in way I don't see you all as people that don't want to be gentlemen or ladies. I see and understand. Oh, this is why. Another thing is, would watch these movies and people would go through walls. Okay, our homes are made of hundred percent brick. So, when we're seeing this, we're laughing and we're saying these people are lying to us. Nobody can just be thrown through and they just go through the wall. Then you come over here and you go, oh, it's wood. Oh, oh, it makes sense right then you get a revelation and understanding so the expression of your culture tells me a lot about you tells me who you are and once i understand and have an appreciation for that i am actually going to be less judgmental more understanding and actually ready to minister a gospel of truth or a gospel of love because i've seen your culture so it is imperative to understand this okay so the kingdom of god is no different and that God himself wanted to institute a culture. So all these building blocks was for him to create a people that would represent his value, not the value of the government, not the value of people who came together and say, how do we want life to live to look like, but the values that God himself instituted or he wanted so how was he going to do this now understand that the first model of kingdom was taken away because Adam and Eve decided to do what they did and so sold the kingdom over which is why you have the kingdom of darkness and you have the kingdom of light because they gave over the rights of this earth over to the enemy so now God had to institute a new concept or a new idea I understand this a lot easier because I am from Zimbabwe which was a former British colony so I understand how kingdom can work. Now obviously because this was run by men it had all the darkness to it and the evil to it but the principles of it was actually correct in how things ought to work. So now you've got Pastor Jackson talked about the dual citizenship. You have got a people group that live within a land that does not belong to them. So, uh, oh, that belongs to, yeah, the the land does not belong belong to them, but you want to take over their land. So you've got these people that got together that are from a foreign land, and they decided to divide the world into different sections. Then they said, all right, Spain, you go, you take this portion, Uh, Portugal, you take that portion, England, you take this portion, French, you take that portion. Because again, what is important about any kingdom is its territory. The more territory you have, the more influence you are going to have. And so Britain is a very small place. If you actually see it on the map, it's a very small place. So to expand this kingdom, they had to go and attack other places. And in attacking those other places, they're expanding their land, they're expanding their territory. But once you get the land or you get the territory, in order for this to truly be a true representation of where you're coming from of your ideals to actually create a british culture within zimbabwe within a different land that was this process known as colonization so they have to go through this process known as colonization so we were told that they were bringing the three c's civilization commerce and christianity those were the things that they were bringing to africa that they were bringing to zimbabwe so that we would change our Mind and be transformed from the way that we existed so that we can exist as though we were british are you following me so this is the process of colonization so this is how god then begins to infiltrate the culture so, so they say they say okay your name what's your name my name is tondarai okay and they go uh, 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 we're going to call you richard Okay, so don't call yourselves by your African names, because your African names are evil. We're gonna give you new names, and those names were British. Okay, so now, in Zimbabwe, and I was growing up, what's your name? If you didn't have an English name, we would actually laugh at you, okay? So now what's what's, what's happening with that? What's happening with the name change? What's happening is I'm beginning to throw away my own identity from the land that I'm in and I'm picking up an identity. And that identity is not coming from me. It's coming from another kingdom and there's a king there and he's trying to influence the way I think. Are You following? Okay, so. When Paul, who used to be called? You guys are Bible students. I love it. The name change is a process of colonization. So we see colonization as a bad thing. Abraham used to be called name change. Because the name begins to change the way I process things. He gives us a a new name. When we enter into the kingdom, not to say I'm no longer going to be called Tondarai, but to say the name that that I go by, the idea or the term of Christian is like Christ. It means that I'm changing my identity, not as the world sees me, but as he does. So you don't have to change your actual name, but the thing you call yourself, right? I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm not enough. I'm insufficient, I'm insecure. These are names that we give ourselves, but these are not kingdom names. These are names that come out of present culture. And present culture needs you to have this identity because again, also present culture wants to manipulate you. Colonization is a nice form of manipulation, of good manipulation, if the king is a good king. And God is a good king. So God is saying, I need you to change. And not call yourself these names. Call yourself blessed. Royal. King. Princess. Priest. And, 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 and he said, salt is good. You are salt. You are good. Right? So everybody runs to that scripture where he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, you're good. Why? You died. Christ now lives in you. So when he's saying you're good, he's saying the Christ in you is good. That's what it means. So now you change the way you think. That's a process of, of colonization and it influences the people. What else did he change? Language. Here I am, speaking to you so fluently in English from a people group that did not have this language. You understand? My ancestors did not speak the language I'm speaking to you right now. I grew up. In school. The moment we entered the school grounds, we were not allowed to speak our local language. We were only supposed to speak English. And this was the Queen's English, not y'all. Okay, we, we can say y'all because <laughs> that's not the Queen's English. We had to learn the Queen's English. Okay, so you change the language. Now, I'm beginning to show you the building blocks of culture. So you begin to change the language. Do you know that we laughed at each other based on your ability or inability to speak English? So when you pronounced a word incorrectly, the whole class burst out in laughter, made you feel stupid and insecure because you couldn't speak a foreign language. Think about it. Do you know what's amazing is when you come here, Because you're from a different nation, people actually don't expect you to be able to pronounce everything correctly. So you're not laughing at me when I say things incorrectly because you don't expect me to really get it correctly because you know it's not my language. But we're laughing at each other over there. Why? Colonization. Our language changes. So God gives you a new language so that the words that come out of your mouth are different than the words you used to speak because life and death is in the power of the tongue. They That love of it shall eat of its fruit. So God changes your language. Okay? And this is a building block of, of culture. And so we, now at this time, things were beginning to change in Zimbabwe. But people used to get together before school starts. And you know what we would sing? God bless the queen. That's what we do. God bless the Queen, who's gracious, and all these good things. Colonization, so that our minds completely changed. Our buildings were European. Street names are European. Zimbabwe's love tea, not coffee. European our values were changed. So we began to shun and look down on that which was actually ours, which was actually Zimbabwe. Not to say that that was perfect, don't get me wrong. Not to say that that was perfect, but this is how an identity cross took place. And now if you go to Zimbabwe, well, maybe not so much now, but in the great good days, when you went to Zimbabwe, it was like a little England because of colonization. And that, my friends, is what God wants to do to create a good culture in us to actually colonize. Because then what will happen is in a good sense, when your language changes, when your identity changes, the way you do life, the way you express yourself, when that reflects the king, then the kingdom becomes attractive. And people, and the Bible says, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violent and violent men lay hold of it. In other words, people are violently trying to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we've been effectively colonized and now we are a colony that exists within a foreign land, but that expresses a different culture to its contemporary. We're not called to be relevant. We're called to be different. When we work so hard to be relevant, we actually lose our salt because then I'm going to change some things and try and bring in a little bit of the world, you know, so that we can be seen as the world. And, and, and the stage is smaller, so I can say this because you're Bible students. okay? Everything you hear from this particular pulpit, right? Everything you hear from this position, from this class especially, and you want to take this attitude wherever you go, go back and look at it. Go back and study it. Because people that are standing here are men just like you and me. And whatever they say, that too needs to be challenged. So you go back and say, okay, is this correct? Is this guy on track? Because what, what do you go back to? You actually go back to the constitution. You go back to the precept. Does it flow with the precept? Does it flow with what God wanted? With his original thought? So here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay? This is my opinion. I'm in my opinion box. I love opinion boxes because you kind of attack me for it. See, you have yours, I have mine. They're like noses, right? You have yours, I have mine. You can attack me for my nose. But here's my opinion box. When we began to put on the bright lights in the churches and all that stuff to try and be relevant because we wanted to make sure that we were not as boring to bring in the church and we changed a whole lot of things within church or kingdom culture in order to attract, we began to lose our saltiness. That's an opinion. You don't don't go quoting me and say this is what news on you're allowed to say this is standardized opinion i'm okay with that i can defend my opinion it's a thought but that's what i think the more we try to be more relevant to our contemporary to be more relevant to our culture in america wherever it is and we say, you know what people are watching disney and movies and be, and, and, and you know church is boring So let's make it more exciting by creating this environment and blah, 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 blah. And then we did that to make it attractive. Now we constantly have to bring out this entertainment machine where people don't feel entertained. They're going to leave and go somewhere else. Where in idea, we're not supposed to be entertaining. All we're supposed to do is host the presence. And then when the presence of God comes, people's lives are changed because of presence, not because of entertainment. That's my opinion. I'm in my opinion box. But that's, that's how I, 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 I see it. Because again, we have not, in some places, we have not allowed ourselves to be fully colonized. Because we still hold on to our own ideals. We're not poor in spirit as we should be. So that's why it is important to have a God inside mindset. Where is God? Where is he? And I ask that to invoke a thought in your mind. And here's how I want you to see it. 12 million people in the nation of Zimbabwe, at least at the time that I was there. And there, I don't know how many kids they are, standing at the beginning of the day and they're singing, God bless the queen they had actually never seen this queen. Never. But you ask them about the queen, we would tell you what the queen is, where where she is. And we would tell you that this queen is good. But we'd never seen this queen. The queen was far away, but the queen was also present. The culture in Zimbabwe is dictated by a small island very far away, so they were far, but they were also close. this is gonna be the next class. The reason why we understood this is because the kingdom sent a governor. Not a governor like we think about in, in the state of like our governor here in Oklahoma. But a governor, this governor, was not there to I- champion the ideals of the masses, but the governor was there to champion the ideals of the queen. So when the governor is here, the queen is here. Because what the governor does is to imprint again of the queen governor in the kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit what does he say I will lead you into all truth and I will he Jesus says John chapter 17 read it check it out he said he will make known that which is mine this is Jesus the Holy Spirit will take that which is mine and make it available to you the Holy Spirit points back to Jesus. If you are saying you are rightly related with the Holy Spirit, having a great relationship with the Holy Spirit, but you deny Christ, that is not the Holy Spirit. If everything doesn't come back to Christ, Christ being the word, that is not the Holy Spirit. Cuz the Holy Spirit is the governor. We will talk about this next class, so you don't want to miss it. Spirit is the governor. So the reason why and then it's important to understand that the governor is here presence of God is here right now that I have access to so God is inside me in my heart and I have access to God right here as much as he is up there he is also in my heart and so wherever I go what am I carrying with me the presence of God I carry the governor with me I carry the Holy Spirit with me wherever it is that I am going. This is why then for me it's easy to say I am salt because I'm not looking at my abilities. I'm not looking at my goodness. I'm not looking at what I can do. I'm saying I'm carrying the king through his governor, the Holy Spirit. So wherever I go, then I can say the kingdom of God is here at hand. You see that? if these things happen read, read it read what jesus says that if these things have happened good things have happened then the kingdom of god is near then you know the kingdom of god has arrived right did god leave his throne no but it's god inside me i'm running out of time thanks jackson okay So the influence of the king is imprinted on our hearts. We carry the DNA of God. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the building blocks of culture, okay? Daniel, erase. I'm gonna go so fast, I got six minutes to do this. So hopefully you can write faster than I can talk. Okay, so these are the building blocks of culture and how culture is manifested, what makes things important to us, and then we begin to manifest them in our lives, okay? I'm going to divide them into three separate categories. Number one, how we live. Number two, how we connect. And number three is what we allow, accept, and reject. How we live, value. The things we value create culture. If we say we value life, our culture will be against taking away life. Do you follow what I'm saying? If we say we value life, then our culture should be against taking away life. Okay? That is a bedrock of what makes culture what does god value here's your scripture i'm not going to read it matthew chapter 5 verse 3 to 10 you should be familiar with it those are the beatitudes number two under how we live is what we prioritize these are the bedrocks of culture this is how culture manifests itself Okay? If we prioritize money, our culture is set up in order for people to obtain money. That's what we value. We'll prioritize money over any other thing. So we'll champion and say, capitalism! Don't take away my capitalism! Right, because we value what capitalism brings out. Now, I'm not saying I'm against capitalism, or neither am I saying I'm for capitalism. That's the beauty of holding this mic. You don't get to know my true opinion, and said it matters. I'm just giving it to you as an example. So I prioritize it. Okay. If you say, "Man, we have to have food. We, we must eat, for we die." We will prioritize food. Okay. What do you prioritize? As, as, kingdom, as kingdom citizens, what should you prioritize? Seek ye first the, and his, that's what you prioritize. You don't prioritize food. You don't prioritize identity. You don't prioritize money. So in your personal culture, what is it that you prioritize? Because in your personal culture, if it's kingdom culture, what you should be prioritizing is the kingdom and righteousness. Then all these things are added. Talk about that some more. Okay? And then, custom. Custom is the things that we do. It's customary to eat turkey at Thanksgiving. That if I told you I had a burger at Thanksgiving, what happens inside? Huh? You have? Right because it's not customary. It's not what you do. So you laugh and you say, you are a burger at Thanksgiving, wet. I didn't die. I'm still here, I'm still living. I'm still not walking out of the purpose of God. But there's a, how could you, okay? Customs are important as a bedrock to creating culture. So when Jackson said, man, I love you, man. You were like so connected. Jackson says, a Christian says, you know what, I was done with this church thing. So it's just me and God and just my Bible. That is not the custom. The customers do not give up the habit of meeting, as some are in the habit of doing. So that's why we have church. It is our custom. Okay. And then under how we connect, food. Connect over food, don't we? It's important to eat. Certain foods will actually tell you which culture someone is from. We have Asian food. And we have I'm still trying to figure out what American food is. Someone tell me what American food is? <laughs> But they have steaks everywhere else. <laughs> they have meat everywhere else. I'm still, I'm, still, I need help on that one because I've been in this country for a while, and somebody says pizza, I'm like, is that Italian? I don't know. But anyway, I, you, when you catch me, just help me out to understand. This is American food, because I'm still get to find it. Everybody says, what do you want? I want Italian. I want Mexican. Nobody says I want American. So anyway. It's probably more So anyway, so the scripture for that is Luke 6 and 30. No, 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 it's not. Okay, I'll make you find it. I'll make you do the work. I think it's Matthew 4 and 4. Man does not live in bread alone. But everywhere that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If it's not Matthew four and four, don't throw spears at me. You're the scholar. Go and check it out. Make sure that I'm correct. Because the way I wrote my notes here, kind of weird. Okay. So that's in food. The next thing is clothing. Okay. Again, I told you about this. I already gave you the example that to me, I did not understand why people wore shorts all the time, but now I do. Now, in the kingdom. There is a dress thing there. Okay. Who knows where that is? Is it one Peter three or three to four? Let your beauty be not but the things that you adorn, but the things that you wear in your heart. Okay, homework. You gotta find that scripture and tell me tomorrow, uh, next week, Sunday. But I think it's first Peter three and four. First Peter three verses three to four. So for us, it's not what we're wearing on the outside; it's what we wear on the inside. But for all the other cultures of the world, it's important what they wear on the outside. And, and I'm, not, I'm not necessarily talking about, oh, you wore a miniskirt, or oh, you're terrible, or, oh, you're this, but if somebody came in here and they wore a dashiki, who knows what a dashiki is? Okay, what? where are they from? You, you start knowing where they're from, right? You can see how people dress, and based on how they dress, you know where they're from, correct? Yes, am I alone? Yeah. Okay, so you guys left me in the cold there for a second. All right, yeah. When I see somebody wearing those, uh, we call them Nigerian garbs, the Nigerian suit, and they put this thing on and got, it's all over them, they've got a big hat on them, and I'm like, yeah, that's a Nigerian because of the way that they're dressed. Does that make sense? Okay, so how we dress, but what we clothe ourselves is not with the outside, but with what's on the inside, okay? Relationships, this is under how we connect, okay? does. America love Russia. Okay, why? Because it's an antithesis to the values that we uphold. So our relationships dictate our culture. Because it's, if something is against what we hold, then we're not going to be for it. What does the Bible say? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Your relationships. Right? So I'm telling you this so that you know when you're culturally being against the kingdom, you kind of know. Then you have to deal with it. And then social norms. Okay, social norms. How's it going, man? See, he understood that. But if I said, how's it going, man? <laughs> What's going on, right? Because our culture says this is how we greet. And you get that. The Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss, but not not to say go around kissing each other. But the idea is greet each other with holiness and in truth, knowing that you're connected and you are the same. So there are social norms that are manifested out of culture. And then, under what we accept, allow, reject, is morals, Ethics and pain points, pain, like it hurts. Our morals is what we allow and what we don't allow. I tell you this, from a cultural perspective, and I'm taking up your time, I hope hope you will forgive me. Blame it on Jackson, but I'm taking up your time. <laughs> the strangest thing to me in this culture is how easy it is for people that are not married to live together. Where I come from, you don't have to be a Christian. Just the culture dictates that that is a shame on your family. In, in, in a, you don't have to be Christian. So everybody looks down on it. Does it happen? Of course it does. Just because we look down on it doesn't mean it doesn't. Of course it does. But when it does happen, you almost authorize, you look down upon, you looked out with shame and disgust. Here it's, we're just planning it and we're just gonna live together before we're married. We're testing it out, right? That's the culture here. To me, it was a shock. It was like, and you know what even shocked me the more were Christians doing it. It blew my mind. Blew my mind. So those are the morals. Do we allow, accept, or reject certain types of morals expressed through culture? Ethics. What is ethical? You've got to look at that. You've got to look at ethics. I'm not going to go deeper into ethics and pain points because I've taken too much of your time. So I want you to study what ethics are and what pain points are. Pain points are the things that make cause things to hurt and we don't like it because it hurts. We don't like to study. We don't champion studying because it's work. I would rather play a video game. I'd rather associate with friends and hang out. I'd rather do a whole lot of other things and those pain points actually create a culture. So here you are busy running away from responsibilities because ah, but what you're doing is creating a culture as you're running away from these things that cause discomfort. All of a sudden, you have a culture of not being reliable because you worked at it by running away from pain points. So you rejected work. And that's a thing that's happening where people reject work. But work is who you are because God gave us work. Work is a part of who we are. We're not called into this faith just to exist. We're also called to work. We were saved to good works. So we, if we reject the works because of the pain point, it's not on my calendar, it's not on my this, it's not on my You actually find when we look at your calendar, your culture will tell you what your culture is. When we look at your calendar and the things that you do based on those pain points. Okay? All right. I'm gonna close in prayer, and then I'm gonna say some things, and we'll. we'll-